Hello everyone and welcome to episode 3 of Mike Learner's New in LA. Sorry about the wait. Uh, people are busy in LA. What can I say? Uh, this, t uh, this today, gotta learn how to do these things properly if, uh, if they ever could become successful. Uh, in this episode I talked to Orion Williams. He's a pictures producer, a film producer out here in Los Angeles who produced one of my favorite films, Control. Of course, about Ian Curtis, the lead singer of Joy Division, who uh, had a very troubled couple of years while his band became very popular in England. Uh, we talked to him about the film, we talked to him about his new projects, and I asked him a very important question about movies, to which he answered, Absolutely. Yeah. So, why don't you guys take a listen, have a good time. I don't know if the merch dude still sponsors the show, I gotta ask him that, this is pretty unprofessional. But uh, here we go, here's a, uh, here's a, here's a shorter uh, podcast with uh, Mr. Orion Williams. We'll get into it right now, and we're recording, see how this goes. Um, what I wanted to ask you, uh, are there any movies that get greenlit without a script, just an idea? Absolutely. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, I think movies get greenlit on you know just a couple of actors, you know who might want to do a movie together. Um, I think you know a lot of the comedies today get uh, um, put together on just some sort of you know kooky, formulaic, you know ridiculous um, idea or thought. You know, that two people are sitting in a room and going, wouldn't it be great if we did a movie called uh, Sausage Town or so? What is it? Sausage Party? Sausage Party. You know, and then they go, let's write a script. I don't know if that's how that came together, but right. I feel like, you know. But will studios give you money for that? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. I think pitch ideas, certainly people that have done it before, mm -hmm. those actors, you know, sure. if it's Judd Apatow or uh, different uh, people like that. Yeah. Well, it seems like the upper echelon of people that could happen to but if i say hey i got a, an idea for a movie who are you does that work or does it say does the idea have to be you know if a guy like me comes along and i'm like yeah i got an idea for a movie this is what happens there's no script but and you're just like shit that's actually a if really it's a good idea. enough idea and a good enough take it's like i never thought of people being hung over in vegas oh my gosh that's a great <laughs> idea you know wow and they wake up and they don't know where they are if you said it or if anyone said it or if some a-list director said it i think it's still taken seriously right that's my thought i mean because it's such a genius like that's a cool thing i mean how many directors have you never heard of suddenly become you know well known because of some farcical movie that just sort of came from nowhere well i mean i know anton corbin obviously was a photographer before but i remember watching the movie the american and then seeing it was it, seeing his name attached as a director, I said, "Well, when did that happen? How did that happen?" So it seems like I don't know. I I don't know where I was going with that, but well, did you know about Control before that movie? Uh, no, I had seen The American when it when it came out. I know that movie came out a couple of years Afterwards. before. Oh wait, it came out after the American. Came, yeah, the, Anton's first movie was Control. But did it come out after the American? No. Really? No. Oh. Came out. The American came out three, maybe four years after, uh, oh, three wow. years perhaps after uh, Control. So it would be on the strength of Control that he got the American. It was exactly that. George Clooney, who produced it, uh, loved Control and went after uh, Anton to direct it. Wow. 
Well, that's what. That, well, that's what I was saying. One of my favorite movies about music is Control, and I mean, it obviously, has to be yours. If there are others, I think the I wrote down a couple of them. I wrote a uh, Control and Once, which isn't you know a biographical movie, but I think it just happens to be one of my favorite movies right. with music in it. Yeah, or I mean, I d- when I started to make the film, I didn't want anyone to. I didn't want to make a movie that had been seen before, at least in my mind. I mean, I didn't know Anton was going to make such a great film. Mm-hmm. I knew he was going to do something cool, and he was my favorite photographer. And I knew that he would bring an element of uh, elegance to it, you know, in the way that he shoots things and sort of minimalism. Well, the whole movie looks like his photographs. You know, you, That's what you I f- wanted. You pause it at any time, and it looks exactly That's like perfect. that. perfect. Yeah. I mean, he sat right there. And I sat right there, and we talked about it. And he's like, I'd like to do it in black and white. I'm like, great. Fantastic. But just so you know, you may have a difficult time. We may, getting distribution or something, you know, on some business side. Financing might be difficult because black and white movies don't sell. He's like, I don't care. I said, me neither. (laughs) I don't care. It was his idea to do it. How long did it take to find the actor for that, to find Sam Uh, Well... I had the idea in 97, emailed Anton in 2000, he responded the next day, it took two years to kind of convince him to do it, and he convinced himself, then um, we started searching for the actor, and we were out to many different, there was a bunch of guys that were looking at it, and I flew to New York to meet James McAvoy, and he flew from London, I remember Anton, to meet him. And we thought he was our guy. Hmm, really? And then that I never would have thought of that. Killian Murphy was very much attached at one point. That that would have seemed like a good choice to maybe like put on a little weight or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Or lose weight. I mean, you know, Ian yeah, was Sam, very thin. Sam Riley was perfect. Yeah, he was perfect. We found him just in a casting call. Really? And uh, And literally thought he was the guy. And then some other actors came to the table who meant something financially, but, you know... We didn't really like him. We wanted Sam, so we gave it to him. Hmm. So those are like a three or four year process. Shot in 2006. First day, Sam was like, um, are we really doing this? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we are. We're shooting it. He called me today, actually. Oriented Sam, how are you, darling? <laughs> He's a good man. So uh, uh, while reading stuff about you online, just to prepare for this, did you do or are you going to do a Jeff Buckley biopic? Yeah, I've been working on that since I wrapped Control and it started to come out. Uh, the mother got in touch with me, mm-hmm. Mary. And she was like, I want you to help me make my son's life into a film. Uh, there was a, another producer that was working with her at the time who was like, Mary, you need to see this film. And that's kind of how it all came about. So I've been on that for a while. I've gone through various directors. Um, Hmm. Would it? How would you feel if you were the guy that Hollywood went to when they needed to make a movie about a musician's life? Today, I was talking about that very thing. Um, I always said that um, I don't want to be considered the music guy. Right. Someone said, uh, you're the music guy. And I said, no, I'm not. I mean, I don't want to be that guy. I've only made one music film. Right. But I had all these other ones in development. Yeah. And he said... Um, well, it's not so bad if, say, for example, Robert Downey Jr. wants to do a music film. He calls you. 
You know, well, that would be nice. Right. You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to, because my films aren't music films. No. They're just movies about people who uh, are either in love or falling out of love or distraught with some sort of emotion they can't explain. And music is their, you know, thoroughfare in which they explain themselves. I'll ask, I'll ask you and Alex this question. Uh, if there is a movie that you wanted to make about a musician that you admired who'd since passed away, who would it be? I mean, I would love to make a movie about Elvis because he was my first concert mm. and I'm from Mississippi and I'm, I mean, the guy is cool to me. I don't think it's as easy to do that, but I, I love that idea. Uh, funnily enough, some of the people I am working on are musicians. I, I can't even believe I'm getting to make a movie about Joy Division. I would never have dreamt of that which is also New Order, you know, there's a connection there. Um, I love Depeche Mode. I think that would be really cool. You know, but then again, it's stories that, I mean, I'm not the biggest. I mean, I loved Jeff Buckley. I saw him in concert, but he wasn't like, ah. But I love his story coupled with music is very appealing, and I like that. So there are some people that I might just go, what a great, I mean, Dixie Dean, the film, the football player. You know, I I didn't know anything about him, and I'm now making a movie about him, so. Alex, uh, I would probably uh, probably make a movie. I'd like to make a movie about uh, Dave Brubeck. That'd be cool. Uh, Dave Brubeck's one of my favorite jazz uh, musicians. Um, Can you just do a little piece of his music? I'm much younger than Alex. Thank you for right. saying that, but. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I listened to I got turned on to jazz by my friend Will Clark okay. uh, in Houston and I was like God, he listens to jazz and Steely Dan and Madonna but then you know weird bands and but I, I do listen I li- always listen to old jazz like anything that's sort of modern I'm not into well we were just talking about actually at your door for the most part before he came in we were talking about the, the Ethan Hawke Chet Baker movie we were just seeing oh it? yeah yeah Born to be blue. Born to be blue. That's the name of it. I could never get into jazz, but I watched the movie, and while I watched the movie, listened to the music, obviously, and it's it seemed not uh, as complicated as no. most jazz music. I guess I could kind of follow it. So that's that's my input. No, uh, I, I love I love the. I thought it was a good film. I, I actually enjoyed it. I haven't seen the film. It's good. It, it, it black and white and color. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So how long have you been in L.A.? Because that's the main question is what the podcast is about. It's about meeting people who have moved to L.A. to pursue basically whatever they set their life out to be and just their story on where they came from and, you know, how long they've been here. I moved here uh, in 1990 from Texas where I was raised. Went to Baylor University, graduated, moved here. Uh, lived here for five years. Worked my way up the ladder in commercial production for a while. And uh, the Coen brothers were up there and they gave me some advice that was sort of like, find a young filmmaker if you want to work in movies you believe in. And so I thought, great. I mean, I wasn't friends with them. They just would ask me to do stupid stuff like research the this or find a location for commercials, you know, because sure. they didn't, it wasn't like their passion to do commercials, but they were doing them. So uh, I got to know them on a certain level, but they always said, find a young someone you believe in. And then I met a director the next day. Really? Named Elias Marriage, who ended up directing Shadow of the Vampire. But, okay. Uh, but I, it wasn't until I moved away and came back and moved away and came back. 
you know, a couple of times over the course of two years, but eventually found myself back in LA in 97. And, um, that's when I kind of had this ingenious idea that maybe producing would corral all my interests together, like photography and music and sure. literature and dialogue and p- meeting people and traveling well, the world. I spoke to Alex a little bit about this and I'm just, I'm still unsure of what a, a producer actually is or what it, what a producer actually does. So I'm not sure if a producer gets a script and says, we're going to make this movie. I'm going to find the director. I'm going to, you know, find financiers or is the producer someone who wants the movie's been greenlit. He's now the head of the production, uh, basically second to the director. So I'm not really sure what, what they would do. you say a producer is Alex? Best friend or worst enemy. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, the producer ideally has, would be the person that would source, find the material that they found from a writer or, or maybe even originally had an idea for something or a movie and then I found a writer to to write it, director to direct it, talent to star in it, all that stuff. Um, I think for me, it, it's uh, it's about having someone you can trust and have a confidant, someone that can partner with you uh, and defend the vision, someone who defends the vision. I agree with all that. Yeah. And I mean, also to add to that is, I mean, I never said I'm going to produce. So I'm going to go make a movie. I just wanted to make a movie and therefore became a producer. Right. I wanted to see things that I love together in one room, you know, and that was Anton Corbine's photography, photography coupled sure. with the band that I loved, coupled with uh, a location that I thought was kind of cool. England. I was a fan of England and, uh, and the book, kind of touched me on a level that was emotional and you know heartbreaking so so control came about because of a book or book you read or a script that found its way to you or because how, how did it actually come about because you said that did you you reached out to anton about the movie correct yeah okay yeah so how did that original idea to do i was at book soup on sunset april 14th 1997 oh wow you remember i have a receipt in the book so i always refer to it and I went in and just saw the cover of the book and thought, that's pretty cool. I want that book. I love that band. It's written by the widow. I'd like to read it. And I put it in the back of my car, which stayed there for three days. And then I drove around to have lunch with a, a, a producer named Neil Edelstein, who produced Mulholland Drive, The Straight Story, for David Lynch. And we were just driving. He was, dude, what's this book? And it was kind of that epiphany, that moment, that you would never have planned for, but when he held it up to his face, and I'm in the driver's seat looking at him, he goes, what are you gonna do with this? I love Joy Division. And I looked at him and I went, uh, producer, and I'm gonna make it into a movie. Let's do it together. I'm like, great, I've never done that before. I'll take it, I'll read it over the weekend. I'm like, great. Two years later, I got the book back. (laughs) He never read it, and uh, I met him for breakfast after Shadow of the Vampire, He's like, oh, dude, this is yours. I'm like, what is this? What are you doing with this? Because you gave it to me like two years ago. Right. So I came home, went into my office in there, and I slipped it on my bookshelf. And by just sheer coincidence, I put it next to an Anton Corbine photo book. And I went, he's got to direct this movie because he's photographed Joy Division. He's never made a movie. And that's when I started my search in the book and online to try to find an email address. Right. And just randomly emailed him. 
and, and he responded the next day. At this point, there's still no script, right? No script, no. The writer I found through um, an actor named Jason Isaacs, who at his birthday party in Venice uh, Beach um, was like, Orion, what, um, how's your Joy Division project going? I'm like, it's pretty good. Like Roland Emmerich is there and Dean Devlin, right. some other actresses. I'm like, oh, it's going pretty well. I just need to find a writer. Well, what kind of writer do you want? I said, I want someone from Manchester. He goes, I know some guy. And he calls some woman over. He goes, who's that guy you know from Manchester that wrote a script or something? Oh, he's written some TV. What's his name? Matt Greenhalgh. I'm like, great. And I wanted to find someone from Manchester. Yeah. So I emailed him randomly. Um, said, Matt, hey, I'm Orient. Told my story. He goes, call my agent. I'm like, call your agent? <laughs> I mean, you've never written anything. He's like, I don't have these conversations. Well, okay. Oh, so I called his agent who I knew. She's like, yeah, he's, you know, Matt. He's doing some stuff. Lots of people want his work. I said, great. Well, I want him too. So I've basically organized a trip over to England to meet with a couple of people, but to fly up to Manchester, meet him. Yeah. And over uh, a few pints that he had at a pub in Manchester, he basically said, I, I have to do this film. And I gave him the job. Wow, right there. Who would have thought, and by the way, an hour afterwards, we're still sitting there, and I was kind of tired. He said, look, um, I got to tell you something. I hate Joy Division. I go, you hate Joy Division? He goes, yeah, not a fan. I said, oh, great. I love that for some reason. I just thought that was great. Whatever that was, I, I mean, I would never expect it. He go, we went, we writes the script. We took him about five weeks. Um, and uh, he sent me... He goes, look, Orion, I'm not going to talk to Anton. I'm not going to talk to anyone else. I'm going to talk to you alone. If I have a question, I'm going to call you. If I have anything I just want to say, I'm going to tell you. But I don't want to talk to everyone else. Yeah. Fine. And about a week into it, he called me. I was like, hello? He goes, Orion, are you by your computer? I said, yeah. And he sent over the first page. He goes, read it while I'm on the phone. And I read the first line. And I was like, you got it. That's it. And it was... uh, his voiceover, right? It was, uh, yeah, but that was different than the script. Okay. It just was a d- description. It said, um, cramped terraced housing, um, half-dead souls, all is quiet, Manchester, 1973. And I just went, that's wow. it. I just said, keep writing. So he wrote it, and then he won a BAFTA. Oh, jeez. Oh, did he? Yeah. Wow. The best screenplay. And I'm sure the movie was nominated a bunch of times. Best Picture. Uh, Samantha Morton Sam Riley um, and best screenplay see what's funny about that is you mentioned how he never liked Joy Division I growing up I would always see kids with Joy Division t-shirts and would I didn't know who the band was I never really listened to them I heard maybe one song and got turned off by it but then I watched the movie and the movie is what got me into the music funny enough that's so, cool uh, another funny element to following up with that at the BAFTAs after he got on stage and he goes, there's only one guy to thank. And it's, you know, he thanked me, which was my mom was crying next to me. It was so nice. Yeah. But, uh, he came over afterwards. We're at the little after party and he, he hugs me and he kisses me on the cheek and he goes, you know, I need to tell you who my uh, favorite band is. Who's that? He goes, new order. Joy division became new order. Right. As you know, and I thought, that makes perfect sense. He goes, you put me in a room with Joy Division, I don't care. You put me in a room with New Order, 
and I'm going to have a hard time sitting there talking. What to d- what did it for him? Uh yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Maybe it was just what become the band that became brought life to his one of his favorite bands. Yeah. So, yeah. Is there uh is there a story or I mean there has to be. I mean, as someone who loves movies and music, there's got to be stories that you want to make about either anything from history or well, let's stick with that. Anything from history. Is there any movie that you've been wanting to make that um, you can talk about? Maybe like a, a movie that, you know, maybe that you're, you're actually making that you can't talk about yet. That's fine. But anything that's in like the back of your head, like I've always wanted to do that. I mean, it's, it sounds like that's some, a question you ask people who've been, I've been doing this business for 30 years. You know, I feel like I'm still new at it. So yeah, I'm, I mean, well, I've never made a movie, but I always think about, movies that I want to make or movies that I want to see. Well, what's really nice is that when you get in this position, like Alex and myself are in, where you've actually made a movie, Mm -hmm. it's kind of cool to go. And an actor told me this once. He goes, once you in the club, you have the ability to actually see something come to life. Before that, it's really hard and difficult. But once you kind of enter and you make your first movie or first couple, you can actually kind of come up with an idea and figure out a way to get it made. Right. So uh, I've had many situations where I just come up with an idea in the morning, and by the middle of the afternoon, I've talked to someone who's either doing it or I've spoken to the estate or someone who has some connection to the person that it's about. Right. And I get really excited about movies about people that, that were around, mm-hmm. that really existed, yeah. you know, that have some troubled, sad situation going on. I don't know why. It makes me happy. Yeah. Sad, depressing music makes me happy. Yeah, same. Um, but uh, I don't, I mean, I'm getting to do it, you know, I mean, I would never have thought in 1994 when I got my first, someone gave me a Jack Kerouac photo with my name on it, that I would actually have the real photo over there now, mm-hmm. and I would have made two movies about Jack Kerouac. It just makes no sense to me. I saw, I watched the trailer, because, you know, doing some research, I watched the trailer for the Big Sur movie. Yeah. It, so it, it's, a, it's a documentary, but it's also... Um, is it actors reading his stuff or are the actors acting out? Uh, Big Sur is an actual film with actors, like any narrative film. Okay. Um, the documentary is different. Oh, so they're two There's separate two films. films. Okay, okay. Yeah, I made one called One Fast Mover, I'm Gone. Right. And Ben Gibbard and Jay Farrar did the music. Okay. And it's music-y and, and just... It's a documentary. Yeah, because in the trailer I saw, I think it was, it was, was it Sam Shepard reading? Uh, Sam Shepard, okay. Patty Smith, Tom Waits. Whoever, I guess wherever I saw it, I think they mashed up the two trailers, and I was just sitting there watching like, oh, that's what? weird. I've never I, seen that. I, yeah, because I was like, I, there was an actor by a campfire who seemed that he was acting. Oh, well, okay. Well, there's, there's some, John Ventimiglia, who was in Sopranos, he, he sounds like Kerouac, so okay. he kind of puts on a voice like Kerouac and walks around the sure. place. It's kind of a docudrama, you know, thing, but not truly. He's not acting as Jack. He's just, you know, voicing, sure. vocaling, and reading passages. Hmm. Big Sur is, you know, a real movie. Right. Okay. All right. Just wanted to set that straight. So, Would you agree with that, Alex? Uh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> what, what is, what, I forget what that talk show was where the guy was just very, uh, just not interacting with the, ho- I forget who it was at all, but they would ask him a question. He would just go, yeah, that's right. And it wasn't, it wasn't a uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Letterman. I forget what it was, oh, maybe, I don't know. but, um, maybe, maybe I don't know. 
<laughs> but do you find that the question I ask him, I mean, when you think of something, I mean, I think I know you well enough. When you think of something, you automatically kind of start writing it down, right? Um, sometimes it's an idea that percolates for a bit, and then it, uh, I usually write it down, and then it'll percolate, and then I'll start to figure out where it belongs or how it's going to look or what it's going to be. Uh, yeah, I mean, the next thing that we're doing, um, this movie's called The Next Darling. I had the name of it in 2008. just came to me. Um, and I think it came from the idea that, like, Hemingway made famous about uh, killing your darlings. And, you know, you, you've had a day of writing and, you know, you've got this paragraph you love. And then, the, you know, the concept of it is that you be, you got to kill that paragraph because it's getting in the way of what you want to actually, the, the actual story. Or um, a darling is something that's so precious that you have to kill sometimes to be able to find the actual real pathway to the story. And so... Um, it's kind of funny because the movie's called The Next Darling. So this is about uh, um, yeah, the idea that people kind of are always searching for someone else, the next thing, the next darling, the next person that they're going to have in, her, in their life. And um, um, so anyway, um, I wrote it. I wrote down the ideas for it in 2009, 10, and 11. And then 2012, I sat down and read it. And Orion and I were making this movie called Warren that I directed. And... Um, I sent him the script for Darling, and he's like, I love it. I'm in. <laughs> Do you remember that? When, when, yeah. When did I send that to you? 2001, I believe. Two th- before no. <laughs> I wrote it. 12 years before I wrote it. No. Um, probably three years ago? Would it have been? I mean, I don't remember. Maybe 13. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But um, it started I love as the whole the premise name. and the, just the idea of it all. It's so cool. Just the next Darling. I want the part of the bartender. Okay. That's it. You still have that scene with the bartender and that other guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I forget what. No, no, no. Or was it? Was it? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll play the donkey. That's fine. That's sure. That's great. Um, so, I don't know why I wrote this down. But I, I wanted to ask you, see if you get get your opinion on it. Do you think that uh, being you're from Mississippi and Texas, right? Born in Mississippi, raised, raised in, in Texas. Texas. Do you think that country music, in a way, was a form of punk? Uh, I wouldn't say that it's a form of punk. I mean, punk wasn't so much to me about getting. I mean, there was a message. Certainly, you couldn't understand the words right. half the time. You just got an emotion that was charging you to do something whereas the words and the lyrics i mean the music is what defined punk right the lyrics is what defined country music what it was it about and what were they saying and i I don't know if the actual lives of the musicians in country was more punk than the music i think because you know you look at guys like hank williams and like johnny cash like those guys they're well they're rebels yeah exactly yeah. yeah wow yeah i mean i love old country music you know, it's some of my favorite music. I listen to Willie's Roadhouse more than I listen to anything. Because mm-hmm. I know a lot of those artists because I grew up around it. Right. It's not what I liked then, but now it's very nostalgic to to listen to Conway Twitty or, you know, George Jones or, 
you know, all those guys. Do you find that as you get older, you start to go back to the music that either your parents listen to or the music that you grew up around? Yeah, because I find that now I'm I'm listening more. Yeah, yeah, I'm joining a lot now. I mean, my stepfather was a big influence. Did you want us to do? Want to say anything? No, I find that. Yeah. Yeah, I find that. (laughs) What do you find? I find that. No, I find that uh, yeah, you do. I, I my father raised me on uh, old oldies music, jazz. I'm assuming. No, actually not jazz. Just the oldies, the fifties. Did you get into jazz on your own? Mm-hmm. That's very odd for you know a young guy to just I, I, not hearing it growing up. I was. Um, I had a well, I, you know, whatever. It sounds terrible to say it. I got diagnosed with ADD growing up, so I had a ADHD growing up, but I didn't really. Uh, like taking any of the medicine for it so i um i started to while i was trying to figure out how to you know studying in college i would or actually in high school end of high school i started listening to just kind of blue while i studied the miles davis record and so it just it kind of started from there and it just went off into uh it went down the pathway of the jazz pathway but i was raised on um in the car always my dad had all these music uh 104.3 with dick biondi how did he sound do a dick biondi uh, 104.3 with Dick Biondi. Oldies 104.3 with Dick Biondi. It's Oldies 104.3 with Dick Biondi. Does that sound right? I don't, yeah. I hope so. It's hard when, I, when, there's, when there's no mic, you know, mic. Yeah. It's hard because there's a lot of riffing that could happen, but you, you know, it's fine. I get it. I didn't, well, this no, it was, fine. was an impromptu, you know, three person podcast, you know? don't have the budget for it yet for the three mics but yeah i think i I, i'm happy with this uh i'm pumped i'm pumped great great uh (laughs) we're talking with orion williams here uh we're having a a lovely time yeah yeah i think maybe the the next podcast i'll start is this will be specifically for orion i'll just i'll talk to people who have ideas for movies and then he can listen to him, and he can make one if he likes them. It'll be called, hey, you ever wanted to? Dot, dot, dot. I love that idea. Let's make that into a movie. A movie about a podcast about wanting to hear ideas about possible <laughs> movies. All right, well, great. I mean, that I, I pretty much found out everything I wanted to know about Control. Well, there's a lot to know that I can't discuss without my agent or lawyer here. That's fine. Um, Alex could sue, you know, fill in if you want. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. Uh, there's, I mean, there's so many great stories. I, I mean, I had props around the house from the movie and I'm constantly reminded of it. And every day, not a day goes by where someone mentions it or I get an email or something just about it. And it's really nice having made zero money from it to get these just, you know, bits of dialogue well, so. i mean the the fucking poster for it is just so cool it's probably one of the better posters you know any of the posters the one that's either that's you know, a temp the, poster that was the first and only there's only one of those really that's the only one that's a real anton photo of the real ian that's fine see that's fine i wish podcast listeners were also podcast viewers so that they can see that i mean the one that everyone's probably familiar is the one with the cigarette right that right. of sam that's right yeah wow. which anton photographed took that photograph and wanted to leave us mark on. Do you phone. know who took the shadow of the vampire photo? Uh, that was uh, a guy who um, who was our stills guy. Yeah, I got to tell you, I asked. Um, 
Did you go to the um, the the Tashin Gallery on Sunset? That's the place, right? The Tashin Gallery. It's on Beverly. Beverly. Uh, the woman who did the stills for the Revenant uh, had a had a showing there. Yeah. Yeah. I emailed her and I asked her, "How do I get into that?" Because I've been a photographer for the past eight years and I've always been intrigued by film stills, uh, or you know, the unit photographer, the set photographer, or whatever. And she says, "Just do some indie films and." go from there kind of like a very like nice quick response and stuff mm -hmm. but uh yeah it's always been always been something i've been, i've been interested in yeah i took a lot of polaroids on the set of uh shadow that were just in this old weird camera that someone had given me where you kind of pull it right. out and you rip it off yeah and they're so timeless they feel like they're from the 1920s mm -hmm. and i keep it i keep saying i'm gonna do a book and i just haven't done that yet but well, this is something now. I don't have to be the bartender now. You just hire me as a set photographer. Uh, unit stills. I don't. I'm not union. Well, that. I don't know if that's a problem. Okay. It could be. It could be. It could be. I mean, not necessarily I mean, a problem for you guys because it would be cheaper. I'm assuming. Uh, it would be cheaper, but if it's a union film and you're non-union, yeah, you can't do it. But there's not anything to say you can't come on and be an intern and then take some photos while you're there. I can do that. And then if we like some of them, maybe use yeah. them, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's fine. I just, um, this is how things happen in Hollywood, I'm assuming. Every single day, right now as we speak, there's some girl who looks a little cute who's getting, you know, an email from a producer who might put her in a movie. Right. You never know. No. Might not. Well, I think that's the end of it, quite frankly. Well, this is the end. And I enjoy talking to you. And... Uh, Alex, uh, thank you so much for introducing Mike and I. Yeah, of course. it's really thank been a you. treat. No, no, thank you. This has been fantastic. I mean, there's literally nine million things you could you could learn from this man. I'd rather do it off off the air. You know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, let's let's go get a cookie. All right.